Chapter Thirteen of the Land of the Broads by Ernest R. Suffling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Broad District in Spring, March, April, and May. The earth in robes of verdure now is clad, and nature, smiling, makes the whole world glad some people hold that spring is the best time in which to visit the broads but i must for various reasons take exception to this although it certainly has its advantages it is a gloriously exhilarating sensation to find oneself on a fine spring morning after a long winter in town careening along before a gentle breeze and upon a fair tide amid the early loveliness of bursting bud and blossom but at the same time the spring months are very treacherous in the way of weather rain is more likely to fall now than in the succeeding months and the days are shorter and the mornings and evenings often very cold and raw many of the fish are out of condition and accordingly very poor in appearance flavour and sport on the other hand the weeds in the rivers and broads which have withered and died down have not yet had time to grow again so that there is more freedom for the angler's tackle than later on during mid-spring some of the primrose banks are worth going miles to see presenting an almost unbroken front of beautiful sulphur-coloured blossoms some of the fenmen might do quite a stroke of business in these flowers with the london markets especially on the anniversary of lord beaconsfield's death but these men know nothing of smart business dealings and appear quite happy in their life of simplicity we will not say ignorance and retirement let us inquire more closely into the manners and customs of these people lord macaulay when asked to give an account of the manners and customs of the new zealanders did it in an extremely concise fashion thus manners none customs nasty this cannot be said of the fenmen for although at least a century behind the present energetic age in business matters they will be found very civil and obliging if illiterate and unsophisticated the fenman here shown with his tousled hair and unkempt beard is seen at his best for he is in his gala dress ready for a water frolic as they call a regatta on the broads and a very different object with his smart hat and double-breasted long-sleeved waistcoat to what he appears if you could see him on one of his work days then early in the morning he is up with the sun and away through the long dank grass covered with its dewy burden regardless of rheumatism or ague if foggy a muffler is wound round the lower part of his face and his hat brim turned down all round so that only the tip of his nose and his eyes are seen very likely 
if he has far to go his legs will be cased in leggings of haybands or twisted sedge to keep off the wet are his spirits damp like the weather not they for he knows that in a short time the sun will burst through and disperse the fog the dewdrops will glitter like diamonds in the sun the lark will rise and carol far far above his head the cattle will rise from their damp couch and low in the sunshine and he himself will whistle at his work with a serenely calm mind with nothing but his present labour to think about or care for the fenman has little regard for the future the present is all to him has he not a snug cabin a nearly new eel-net two or three suits of clothes good health and an equally good appetite what more can a man wish for nothing he is happy when we know their mode of life we cease to wonder at their simplicity and their plodding ways we will go to yonder eel set and have a chat with its owner as to his mode of life his home is simply a large boat with a rough cabin in it which is furnished with a bed a little table a wooden seat or box a piece of broken looking-glass and a locker containing some dilapidated crockery the boat has been drawn up onto the bank and is probably so old that she would not float if she were placed in the water his nets are hung to dry upon a row of stakes driven into the ground the pitcher is completed by a rustic pawling of wood which together with weed and rushes encloses the little plot planted with cabbages and potatoes surrounding his dwelling here he lives the solitary life of an alexander selkirk paying no rent or taxes and owning no landlord for the little plot a few yards square has become his by right of possession for did not his father and grandfather and great-grandfather live here before him without hindrance and why should not he the landlord upon the edge of whose property he is located does not mind his being there at all for our fenman always has an eye to the grazing cattle can always be relied on for a helping hand and is generally employed by the farmer during hazel and harvest during late winter and spring when the weather is suitable the fenmen are busy cutting and carrying sedge and reed the latter is cut from the boat tied in convenient sized sheaves and then taken to a meadow and put in shocks just as is done with wheat it is here allowed to stand and dry for some time and is afterwards stacked till required for thatching purposes in the summer some of these men are experts in the capture of wildfowl which are sent to norwich market and sold at a fair profit wild duck mallard teal widgeon wild goose waterhen coot plover heron grebe and ruff all fall to the gun and decoy of these men 
while another at times profitable branch of their calling is netting larks at other times they are busy among the fish especially during spring while speaking of the fenmen we will for a short space disregard the season of spring and see how they exist through the whole year june ushers in the hazel or hay harvest when our fenmen lay aside their nets and handle the scythe cutting meadow grass for the winter food of cattle and marsh grass or fodder for littering them down in the winter for this service they receive pay either by the day acre or load according to pre-arranged agreement now comes a pause till the corn is ripe when if our friend is lucky enough to secure a harvest he earns from six pounds to seven pounds in from three to five weeks according to the weather this is his best stroke of business during the year and indeed this is the only time at which he indulges in what he terms butcher's meat during the other eleven months beef or mutton rarely tickles his palate pork and fish being the usual food the harvest finished september is here and this being the best running month for eels our fenman is busy with his nets day and night mending and fishing his spare time is now taken up with gathering mushrooms which however fetch but little here where they are so plentiful still as he says they aren't to be had for the gathering and half a crown a bushel is not to be sneezed at neither is it but what back-breaking work it is to be sure turfs or hovers as they are called are cut at any time just to fill up a few hours when there is nothing else on hand the hovers after being stacked up to dry in large mounds are then ready for sale in the accompanying illustration we have a set of implements used by the fenman in his many branch calling there is his marking out spade and his long cutter for digging down the whole length of a hover about two foot then we have his curiously set scythes for sedge and gladden cutting his reed hook or sickle his hooked staff for dragging in stray reeds so that he can reach to cut them and lastly his thick fingerless leathern gloves called dannocks these are a necessary protection against the sword-like boulders and other broad-leaved grasses which become very brittle and will cut like a knife then comes the fall of the year when sedge and reed cutting commence again and so year after year the same round of dull duties goes on our fenman being quite indifferent to the things of the world beyond his boundary of life the river and adjoining fens it is a strange life no doubt and when talking to one of these real natives it is very difficult for a town man to find a theme of conversation which will even be understood much less appreciated it has been calculated 
that the english language contains from forty thousand to fifty thousand words and out of this vast number only from eight hundred to one thousand are used by the fenman to express all his wants and engage in conversation with his brethren it may be noted that of this number many are obsolete words that is obsolete to the townsman and many of them although used in polite life have quite a different signification to what they originally had it is clear then that politics the sciences and fine art are beyond him and altogether incomprehensible so that a conversation on anything of the kind would be to him greek still as a chat with a native will be found interesting and instructive i will tell you how to approach one and draw him out tobacco is the key then talk to him of fish reeds and boats and you will soon get him to tell you all kinds of river and broad yarns in his own peculiar dialect poor fellows they often have a hard time of it in the winter when everything is snow-clad and ice-bound and it is a hard matter to keep the wolf from the door sometimes during hard frosts they will lie in wait for a whole morning amid the snow for the chance of a shot at a wild fowl for which they will get perhaps sixpence or eightpence returning to their ice-bound homes with their shaggy beards and unkempt hair tossing in the wind like old norse kings awakened after a rip van winkle sleep of a thousand years but we have arrived at winter before completing spring so we will put back our clock of the seasons and see what more we can say of the latter the pike fisher's best time is in the early spring on open days with not too much wind fishing either from a boat or the banks sitting in a boat is certainly cramping and cold work at this time of the year and requires two persons one to row quietly and slowly while his companion makes his casts the bank fisher can keep himself warm with a good thick overcoat and the exercise of walking along the boggy ground knee boots are an absolute necessity or wet feet will be the result do not on any account miss seeing the gulls and their young during late spring it is a most curious sight to see the young ones in their downy coats looking much like puffballs before they arrive at the estate of featherdom the number of cuckoos here is surprising and as everything is so quiet their notes are to be heard for a great distance they make their appearance in april and mark their advent by turning out the eggs from a hedge sparrow's or other bird's nest and depositing their own in it having done this they contentedly go about their business of crying cuckoo leaving the eggs to be hatched by the unsuspecting foster-mother who does not find out her mistake till the young ones are larger than herself i am afraid 
the school urchins are sad raiders during the spring in the way of egg stealing for they appear to take all they come across from that of the tiny tomtit to that of the lordly heron the district is thoroughly searched for rare birds eggs by naturalists from various parts of england who not only take eggs and nests but the very branches they are built upon this exemplifies the title to shakespeare's play love's labour lost for the contemplative man or one who likes to be like robinson crusoe monarch of all he surveys spring will be the most suitable time to visit the broads as the sportive tourist is not yet about and the fish and fowl after a long winter's rest are not so shy as they will be later on End of chapter 13